Hey everybody, it's Caleb Salibi with the Long Monday Podcast, brought to you by Atlantic Stage. I just want to thank you guys again for joining us for part two of our conversation with Tom Penn and Milton Justice. Steve and I had a fantastic time and we learned a lot. I hope you guys enjoy it too. just want to let you guys know that we are located on Atlantic Stage's Facebook and Instagram pages, and we'd appreciate it if you like, subscribed on the wherever you're listening to your podcasts, or like and share on Facebook and Instagram. Or just leave us a comment and let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear your feedback. So I hope you guys enjoy the rest of this episode and stay tuned after the show for a very special announcement. Enjoy. This discussion was born out of an interesting revelation that I had after listening to one of your uh episodes in the podcast, uh, Milton, it was titled, I believe, a play is a sequence of thoughts, not a sequ- not a cluster of sentences or words. And in that particular episode, you mention that it is the actor's responsibility to create their own punctuation. And that to me, it floored <laughs> me. It was such a, it, it hit so abrasively that it was heresy to me. And I actually just spoke to Tom recently about this, that it was just like, that's heretical. You're supposed to honor the punctuation. Why did they put it there? You know? And so, and I've had, I've been working through this and it's been taking some time, (laughs) but I have some experience. I, I have some experience after doing a couple of exercising that particular technique that I, after having spoken to you, Milton through, uh, through emails, I've, I've been learning apart and, but I first, I want to lay the groundwork real quick. What the two schools of thought: the actor is responsible for creating their own punctuation, and then the actor ought to respect the punctuation as written by the author. <laughs> well, okay. Um, <laughs> first of all, here's what actors do when they respect the punctuation. Okay. Um, All right. So I have an actor who's coming over who's auditioning for the TV series Love, Victor. And so he sent me the sides. I almost never read them because it's television. You know, how difficult can it be? Okay. Um, So Cyrus says, "Uh, a million times yes. J'adore Thai food. I just have to call my parents and then I'll help you whip up a quick tablescape. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I'd love to have been in the writer's room when they came up with this dialogue. That was not brilliant. No. Oh, no, no. I, listen, I love working with people in television scripts because I think if you can make that work, you can make anything work. People think if you can do Shakespeare, you can do anything. I think, no, if you can do a television script, then you can do anything. Mm -hmm. Anyway, okay, so here's here's what actors do when, when they are worried about the punctuation. Now, okay, first of all, I don't know if if we've included it, and not only do I I I think start every play as if you know nothing. Do not go to the words. Now, why do I say that? I am absolutely convinced. As soon as you go to the words, you go to performing the words, and as soon as you go to performing the words, then all your creative impulses 
are over. It's just because now all I'm worried about is how do I say this intelligently or how do I say this? How do I perform this? And and so, I mean, that's the, the reason I came up with it, Thomas, because I realized that everybody was uh, reading something and making a decision right away. Mm-hmm. And man, you start making that decision. I don't know how many times you've gone down the wrong road. You make that decision. You go down the wrong road. Talk about fighting for a choice. It's really hard to suddenly look and say, oh, dear, this character is nothing like that. So, um, so I mean, it's so, so easy to go down to go down the wrong road. So that's why I said start as if I knew nothing. Okay. Um, okay. So that's the first thing. Okay. Now, the whole idea of it being thoughts is because if Greg were to come over here and I'd say, "Okay, just just Cole read this," and he and he played to the period, or as they call it in England, the full stop, which is exactly what happens, he would no doubt go. Mm, a million times, yes. Stop. The door of Thai food. Stop. I just have to call my parents. Um, and then I'll help you whip up a quick tablescape. So one of the things that happened that I found is that it's it, having a period not only makes the actor nosedive to the end of the sentence, they nosedive to the end of the sentence and stop. So all acting stops. Now is the winter of our discontent. Made glorious summer by the son of York. And to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler, you see what I mean? It's like, so the playing, the punctuation forces a performance on you, which means you die out. And what it really means is every single time I get to a new sentence, I have to like rev up again. If somebody's, if somebody's doing that though, they're not keeping in mind the overarching, you know. Uh, yes, but that's the problem. They went to the performance too soon. They went, you know, I, I mean, listen, how can you get to the overarching thing without like weeks of rehearsal? Right, yeah, I mean. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the reason that I that I say, what are the thoughts? I mean, listen, I, I look at a t- monologue and I'll say to somebody, read it through a couple of times. Now put it down. Now do it. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I consider myself a textual purist. And I think this is part of why Caleb uh, in, invited me to have this conversation. Um, and I, I think that that position for me comes largely from my training in Shakespeare, which I, I think yeah. I, I think punctuation and, and, and line structure and, and rhythm and meter and all of those things do matter a great deal in Shakespeare. But I don't, I don't think we're as diametrically opposed in our ideas as, as Caleb might think we are, because I agree with your assessment that it's, it's more about thoughts. Um, I just think that those thoughts are, are demarcated by the punctuation. No, they are not. Okay. They are so not. You could have three thoughts in one sentence. And if you're not playing the thought, you're going to miss it. 
You are going to miss it. You are going to be an actor who accurately plays sentences. Well, that sounds boring. Yes, but and, and but that's it. But if you know what the thought is, all right. Let's look at this stupid line. Uh, <laughs> somebody says to me, hey, "You know, do you want do you want Thai food?" And he says, mm, "A million times, yes. I adore Thai food. I just have to call my parents, and then I'll help you whip up a quick tablescape." Okay, so I've read it. Okay, so now I say to to the actor, just improvise it, paraphrase it. So he says, oh, my God, you have no idea how much I love Thai food. I mean, me and Thai food are like, you know, it's like it's unbelievable. Okay, one thing, I just have to call my parents as soon as I call my parents. I am going to help you set the table and we're going to have. Okay, you you know, so. All right. So now I have thoughts. Okay. Mm-hmm. I took a moment with I lo- because the line is uh, I adore Thai food. So it, it's like it's no longer a fact. Mm-hmm. J'adore Thai food. It's an experience now. It's an experience. And right. that's the thing. Now, uh, I, I would say, and this is also really difficult, if you <laughs> if you have to pause, I w- I've said to an actor before, pause in the middle of the sentence, not the end of the sentence. And that's totally mechanical and cheap. But... It's more interesting to say I, I rather than I just have to call my parents. Right. It's more interesting to to say, I just have to call my parents and then I'll help you. You know, I mean, it's in in other words, it's not. You know, I can't believe I said the actor has a responsibility, but I probably really think that. It's like I feel like that. That's the author's punctuation. But now there's my punctuation. And my punctuation has to do with bringing these words to life. And my connection, which comes out of, you know, a sequence of thoughts, my connection is what brings it to life. I, I, um, I'm not as opposed to what you're saying either. I think one reason, I know one proof I have of that is that every time we've done new works, the playwright is always like, Oh my God, I didn't know I was writing that kind of thing. So, you know. Well, I think that's true. I I, I think that's true. But I I I do think it's a different it's a different skill set. It is. I have a question for you though. So your relationships with a playwright, based on what you just stated, what about the elements of playwriting, like rhythm and word choice, and I'm afraid, yes, even punctuation, that they may have slaved over for a long time making those decisions. Uh, now, I, I know, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. Now, I, for me, <laughs> at this point in my career, I mean, in my, at this point in my career, I use, except for Shakespeare generally, although we, we know there are editing problems with Shakespeare, right? Every editor sees things differently and there's punctuation everywhere. It's too overwhelming. Yeah. Well, uh, and also, look, you know the history of Shakespeare. They all did these plays, and then somebody said, we should write this down. Right. So, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's not like he wrote it and handed it out. They were doing it, and somebody decided later to write it down. So right. who knows what the punctuation is? True. But, I, you know, I use I use punctuation and all those techniques of playwriting as a guide guideline for my acting. And I don't think that... I, I just think, I, I know, but I just think, look, we miss... We miss by doing that. Agreed. We agreed. miss the joy of the thoughts. Mm-hmm. We we miss that because we think 
it's a sentence. What we miss is that a sentence that could have two or three thoughts in it. Yeah, well, this is this is going to be a big confession for me, but I suspect if the if you followed along with the script while I was performing a role, that you might find I wasn't honoring the punctuation as hard as I as I claim we need to. I think because the the thoughts emerge from the work, um, you know. And I was Caleb, you and I were talking about it um, yesterday when you dropped off the mic. Caleb has been has been trying this with the work that he's doing right now. And you should tell us a little bit about what you've discovered in that process. Yeah, yeah, no, I've I have been um, I've been working through this, trying to accept it and and, and <laughs> Sorry. unlearn a few things. And so I am working on a script, and what I have done, I I took um, into consideration and into practice what you mentioned to me in an email that Chris Petrovsky does, the actor Chris Petrovsky. He writes down his dialogue without punctuation, and then works from that. And so I, I've done this. Now I've got like three pages to one page of script because I write large and I can hardly read my own handwriting. But beside the point, it's this massive run on sentence now. And I now have to make sense of it and find the thoughts. I have to know the thoughts. And now I'm learning it from that. And what, I'm, what I've found is that after having done some work, I go back and reference the script that's printed that has the punctuation that the writer put in. I'm noticing that I'm my now reinterpretation of that uh, printed out text is now I'm still landing commas, periods and things like that. I'm still landing them fairly dead on to what the playwright had, except now they're mine. I put them there. And so it's it's interesting because now not only do I now have a sense of ownership of the thoughts, I now own the punctuation. And so it's I'm not playing the punctuation that someone hand hand fed me. I made it myself. And so I thought that was really interesting. I don't know what that says about us as people that because now I have a sense of ownership about it, I care more about it. But I thought it was very, it was very fascinating. They have to be your words. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I, I hate using the word earn, but I often do that, you know, we have to earn the, the text. Mm. We have to earn the past. I, I mean, I, I'd rather use pay a price for it, but it's it's because that's what we end up doing. But it 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 does become yours, and it and it is because you have that you you have a solid connection to it based on ownership. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that's uh, I, I think that's um, a really important part of it. Yeah, uh, Milton, I just want to let you know right now that I'm I'm going to steal a lot of this and use it the next time I get to act. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was, hey, great. hey, you know, that's just learning, right? <laughs> yeah, we we should have this meeting once a month, and you know, and, and catch up. Yeah. So what, when is your book supposed to come out? Because I think I, I might consider ordering it as a textbook for my acting classes. September. September. <laughs> All right. Fall of, two, of 21. Whenever pre-orders are up, please let me know. I'll order several. It, it really is a collection of emails. And, and, and the funny thing that the author said was, well, uh, the publisher said was, <clears throat> he said, I like the book. He said, first of all, uh, he is the publisher of Applause Books. And he said, and I brought it to the committee. And they said, are you really going to publish a book of emails between actors and a teacher? 
And he, he said, who do you think our audience is? He said, he said, I like the book because it's not stiff like most of the stuff, mm. the acting books we have. Yeah, there aren't many good ones out there, honestly. No, it's rough. Uh, look, okay, so uh, one of the guys, oh, God, I love this man. He was the head of the Moscow Art Theater School. And he spoke uh, at the... Uh, at the Stanislavski Symposium in Prague a couple of years ago. And he said, he said, well, of course, um, no one has read all of Stanislavski. Um, he said, we say we have, but no one has. And he said, and he said, maybe my life and art, but not all of it. <laughs> and I was so relieved. And I just thought, you know, how can I be teaching acting? And I haven't, it's bad enough I don't read Russian, but I haven't read the book. <laughs> I, I find myself, I, I probably own more acting books than anybody I know. And if you go through, you'll see like four sentences highlighted. And it's like, that's what I got out of that book. By the way, you've given me a lot to think about, honestly, about with text and stuff. I mean, I think it's going to be a process of me thinking about it and processing for myself. But your little, demonstra your little demonstration about the TV script there was so much more active. Yeah the way, you know, when you did it with the thoughts that really intrigues me, but I will confess, I still, I don't like, do you feel like Milton in any way that you're negating what the playwright's work is? I mean, I know you say your main job is to tell the story, but if you're ignoring some elements of what they do, and it's just an honest question, I'm just asking. I, I, I'm not sure my main job is to tell the story. I, I think my main job is to interpret the play and interpret, and, and to understand what the writer was trying to say. And uh, that to me is really my job as an actor and certainly as a director is to help actors get to what is this a play about? And in, in an odd sense, uh, I, I tried to explain to somebody once, I said, you know, what, what, what do we want the audience to think when the curtain goes down? And I said, if they think, my God, Chris Petrovsky is a good actor, we're doomed. Hmm. You know, we, we were not successful. Uh, I directed a production of Waiting for Godot once with the then unknown Mark Ruffalo. He was 21 or 22. And um, I ran into people afterwards. And some girl said to me, I feel like I want to go home and I want to call all my friends. And then somebody else came on the way out. He said, it's, it's about tyranny, isn't it? And I mean, it, and I thought they are leaving discussing the play. They are not discussing the actors. I mean, Mark Ruffalo wasn't Mark Ruffalo when we did the play. We later revived the play 10 years later when he was kind of Mark Ruffalo. But, um, but, um, but I mean, you know, you know, to me, that's the thing. Um, Yes. I love that. I love that idea. Uh, one of the things I picked up in Prague was another teacher said to me, at some particular point in, in rehearsal, I will say to the actors, come up with two sentences to describe why we should be doing this play. And it is to force us to think that the play is about an idea. 
You know, we we need to do this play because the world today is like the world in the 30s and we're in danger of whatever. Okay, that's a reason to do this play. Now I have this thought. And so then it tells me it's not about the sentences. It is about the idea behind this play. That's what I was inarticulately trying to say earlier when I said my character's part in the storytelling. What, what, what's the impact we're trying to leave and what impact does my character have on what you're going to leave with? I was, didn't ex- say that very well before. but Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I got into acting to begin with. I read um, a book. It was, it's a book. It was a compilation of interviews. It's called Actors at Work. And it was just a bunch of actors that were being interviewed. And Ruben Santiago Hudson, in his particular interview, said, my job as an actor is to leave the audience leaving differently than when they came. And I was like, that's it. That's why I want to do acting. Well, Stella in her first book, which is on, not in front of me, but at any rate, you know, she said, I got uh, her father, of course, was Jacob Adler, who was the head of the Yiddish theater. And she said, if I got it straight from the old man, you have to make it better for them. Hmm. If not, why are you going on the stage? And, and that's it. it. It's like they need to, you know, they need to be enlightened. They need to, they, they need to, I don't know, be afraid. They need to, you know, what they don't need to do is leave thinking about a performance. But they need to leave changed by the experience. Well, yes, or certainly thinking about it. That's what I was going to say. As theater people, can't we all look to our favorite theater audience experiences? I know I can. The best ones have been the ones where we, me and my partner talk for days afterwards about them. That is meaningful. Yeah. If it's changing that much and you're, you're interested in the issues of the play days later, oh my God, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, the first time I saw Three Sisters, I went to bed for a week. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just kept thinking, my God, I'm never going to Moscow. <laughs> There's a, sto- uh, there's a story that um, was, was interesting um, just in terms of what does the playwright know? Yeah. Um, so uh, Stella had told me at one point we were having a discussion about something and she was horrified about auditions. So she said, I knew the world was changing when... Arthur Miller made Lee J. Cobb audition for Death of a Salesman. And so, Jesus. So at any rate, so at a fundraiser uh, in East Hampton the next summer, I, I, I ran into Arthur Miller's sister, Joan Copeland, who's a wonderful actress. I had seen her in his play American Clock, and she just blew me away. And she's a wonderful actress. And, and I said, you know, Stella mentioned that your brother made Lee J. Cobb, uh, who's phenomenal, of course, if you've ever looked at it, especially as opposed to other people like Dustin and, uh, and all those people. They're just embarrassing. And so I said, she said that your brother made Cobb audition. And I said, is that true? And she said, oh, yes, it's absolutely true. And I said, how? How is that possible? You know, was he insane? It was what I was saying. It was my action. Anyway, and so, and she said, well, he always saw Willie Loman as a little man. 
And I thought that was really, really interesting because, you know, to me, if a man like Willie Loman can't make it, then America is doomed. A little man like Dustin Hoffman was never going to make it. You know, he's a little guy. And I just thought, doesn't, doesn't Mr. Miller know what his play is about? <laughs> it's like... At, at, at any rate, I just, you know, I found all of those kind of things just kind of, it, it, it's, I realize off really constantly the actor's contribution to the text. David Mamet, who was damned for eternity, of course, said, just say my words. And I thought, if anybody just said his words, he'd kill them. I, I mean, I, I coached Kira Sedgwick, who was doing Oleana in Los Angeles, and my God, it was torture trying to, you know, really get, because it's complicated writing. I just say my words. I mean, you know, what is he, nuts? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this, this idea, too, of, of um, pursuing thought before punctuation. And I think what, what I'm, I don't know, I'm going to play around with it, but what I sort of see down the road is kind of what's something Steve and I talked about before that when we work now, we, we rely on instinct. We trust our training and we, and we just go. And when we hit a roadblock, we go back to the work. We go, we go back to the technique. So I think what I'm, what I'm envisioning is that, you know, uh, re release the actor's, onto the text and, and release them onto the thoughts. And when we're not making sense, when we're not finding clarity, then we might return to the text and go, okay, well, let's, let's look at, let, let's see what's here. Uh, here's the thing that I, I will say this. If you can get yourself to go over, under, around the text and allow yourself to free associate, then it really comes to life. In other words, it's not just paraphrasing. It really is improvising the thoughts. And that's what, it's kind of blowing it out of the water. That then you see allows you, because then, then if you train yourself to go wherever you want, and a lot of it has to do with homework, but if, if, if you train yourself to go wherever it is that your mind takes you, then it's like if we go back to this stupid, I'm sorry, Steve, I should have found it. It was just sitting here on my desk. I apologize for this. I mean, the least I could have done was pulled up Odette's or Miller. Shador, Thai food. I know. <laughs> but. But if I allow myself with this stupid t dialogue that says, yes, I'll stay for dinner. I adore Thai food. I just have to call my parents and then I'm going to help you whip up a quick tablescape. Okay, if I allow myself to go wide with it, then I, it's just like I can go any place. Stay for dinner. Oh, my God, that is so sweet. I can't believe you're asking me to stay for dinner. And Thai food, for Christ's sake. Nobody likes Thai food like I do. I mean, my God, my dream is to go to Thailand. I just, look, mother is 
fixing something for dinner. I'm just going to call her, tell her to I'll have it tomorrow. Let me do that. And then I'm going to set the table for you like you have never seen it. But you see, so now I have a sequence of thoughts. Now, because I allowed myself to go wide with it, it's now it's very, very full. And you can load all of that into the text. And now when I get back to the text, uh, a million times, yes. Well, you, you see, I've done all of this work and a million times, yes. Uh, and I adore Thai food. It's, it's like I've done all of this because I've gone really, really wide with it. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and it, it, it's the reason I like talking everything out because it's like, I mean, look, at if you look at Bernie Dodd's, this is going back to uh, the Odette's play Country Girl, Bernie Dodd makes an entrance. He's a director. He's never met the wife before. They are living in uh, like a cold water flat, a, a room, a rental room uh, while they're in rehearsal. So, and, and this is all that's there knock on the door. I'm here to see Frank. He, uh, he's not here. I'll wait. He walks in. So it, it's, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's like, but in that you see is everything. Yeah. In that is everything. He is a director. I mean, and this is the reason you have to be so careful because, you know, your immediate thought is, man, he's a rude son of a bitch. He's not. He's a director. He's absolutely focused. He is, does not have time to make nice with an actor's wife. He doesn't have time to say, hi, I'm Bernie Dodd. Who are you? You must be Mrs. You know, it's like in Hollywood they do that. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's producing a Broadway play. And also I've done my research and I know the play takes place in the 1950s when Kazan had both streetcar and death of a salesman running. So now I am this director who is doing a new play and I'm, I need to talk to the guy that I want to know whether or not he's still an alcoholic, uh, that's going to have the lead in the play. So it's it's like all of that. It's there is no dialogue is going to give me that, and so that's the thing. My talking it out and talking out all of that is, is you know, is behind the line. Is Frank here? <laughs> you, you see, it doesn't matter how well I say it. Is Frank here? Frank here? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not going to have what you know the whole thing that that goes on because that's the line one of the reasons i think it's so important is because realistic plays do not give you that much i think realistic plays are very difficult to read it's like i read to the bottom of the first page and i think Oh, okay. That's what's going on. All right. Now let me go back and read it again and see if I can incorporate that. I, uh, you know, you think it only takes two hours to perform it. It takes two hours to read it. It takes, I'm lucky if I can get a play read in a day because it's so difficult. Like life, the writer gives you a sketch of what's going on. Uh, it's, it's like, 
and, and, you know, I mean, that's, you know, the bottom line of Stanislavski that I learned from somebody at the Moscow Art Theater was, you know, the play lives on two levels, what I'm talking about and what's really going on. Well, my God, I mean, it's like I'm talking about where's Frank? What's really going on is good God. You know, here's here's the wife. Jesus, I don't have enough problems. Uh, I don't have enough problems without her. And she's giving me that look of of somebody who's who you know is like trying to. I don't even care what she thinks. You know, I've got business to do. Well, I mean, that's how is Frank here. Talking out your work has been another revelation of mine as well because I, I even for four thousand miles, Tom, when we when we did the show, I I came in to rehearsal with three pages of of backstory, and I had. I, I had done that work before we even I it was I don't think it was before the table read but it was and I read it and I praised you for it and we we got through it but we, yeah yeah I created characters that didn't need to exist I created backstories that didn't that was not it was completely irrelevant yeah <laughs> and so and now what I'm doing with this this new piece I'm working on is I'm talking everything out and it's not only do I have to not I don't have to worry about trying to you know reference the three pages of you know writing out that I did because as you you've mentioned before now your creative works on the page but if I talk it out it's outward and I can own those things that because I can physicalize them as I speak them and it's it's really interesting and fascinating the the sense of ownership you get from doing that Man, I was going to say, you know, one thing I miss about working at Trustus Theater um, <clears throat> for Milton and the audience it's a small theater but it had a bar in it and it was open during the daytime. And so as an actor, you could come in the daytime or you could hang out afterwards and talk about the show and moments that didn't feel right with your fellow actors. And it was it's exactly what you're saying. It is a level of comfort that and knowledge that comes from that that doesn't come really any other way for me. I got absolutely stuck in rehearsal. Um, I was doing a production of Boys in the Band in East Hampton. And I had produced this play, Vanities, off-Broadway, and we all made, none of us ever thought we were going to make, have careers, much less make money. And we had an accountant who said, you guys ought to buy something. Are you going to give it all to the government? So we, we bought a, an eight-bedroom house in Sagaponic for $135,000. Don't ask. Ah, the good old days. Anyway, <laughs> and so they were doing production of boys in the band. And so I auditioned for it. And what was really interesting was right down my alley, the directors said, I, I know you can probably read the script, but just throw the script away. Just, just improvise the scene. Well, I was home free. And so at any rate, so she called and she said, I'd like you to play Michael. And I said, which one is that? And she said, it's the lead Milton. And I, I, I said, Kelly, I, I, you know, I'm happy with a smaller part. I just want something to do since we'd all moved out to our summer house. I wrote so many notes. <laughs> They're publishable. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm telling you something. I did it. I wrote out an analysis of the title. <laughs> I, 
a page and a half analysis of the title. <laughs> the Boys in the Band. Let's hear it for the boys in the band. They're not the stars. They're not the leads. They're just the background players. It's a play about background players. I mean, you sh it's just all there. Also, I used to, I, when I, I like number the lines, is a lot. You know, line number one, it's about time you're here, an hour late. And then I wrote, he's somebody who lives with accuracy. He's, uh, he's probably a secretary. Um, there's a time schedule. I, I mean, this was, <laughs> this was really serious. We should publish this. You know, I mean, I mean, it went on and on and on. <laughs> and it took me the longest time to figure out that I'd arrive at rehearsal and I think, okay, no. okay so, so this is you know, this line I wrote about the, you know, and so it was like totally got in my way. Yeah. What I had realized from class. And that's when I sort of abandoned it. Is uh, in, in Stella's class, we were working on a Sidney Kingsley play called Men in White, which is a play that takes place in an emergency room. And so Stella said, I want you to build the walk from your apartment to the hospital. And so I started talking out. Now I knew the play took place in the depression. So I stole those images and I began to steal things that I had looked at visually in research. And I began to build people. And I basically talked out my walk to the emergency room, which was basically, and this was what happened before I came on stage. And so I realized with that, that talking it out, it's exactly what you said, Caleb. Talking it out made me own it because it was out and therefore I was talking it out and so I could see it. And I could see it and it, it helped me get to the experience of what I was seeing, not just the facts. Mm. The biggest danger, I think, in acting is are, are answering the questions correctly. Who are, you? Who are you? Well, I'm a director of a Broadway show, and it's 1950. Where are you? Well, I'm in a small room. And do you, you know what I mean? It's like in answering the questions, which is one step away from writing out an answer. And it's almost like you want to hand it to the audience. And this is what we would hope to accomplish. Here's, here's my essay. You can read my essay and go home. Well, you end up building a very tiny box around yourself yeah. when you answer those questions. And then you don't have any room to move. I think they're the most dangerous questions I've ever heard. I cannot even imagine that a legitimate acting teacher came up with those questions. And people, oh no, they're five questions. And I went, what? <laughs> God, I have 40 and I'm just on the first line. It's like, mm. you know, and, and so it, it, it is, it's a box. You, you, it, it's like, and if I can answer the questions in this box and hand in my paper and get an A on it, then I can act. But that's, uh, you know, that I, I think that's, that's just one of the things that uh, I just, over time, I've found was so useful. I love talking out. I, I love talking out. I used to talk out 
I even find I have a notebook here and I had some things I wanted to cover in class on Tuesday and I wrote them out. And then finally I just said, forget it. (laughs) I even find writing out my class is not as good as when I talk out what, what's going on, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what it is I want, I want to talk about today. And, and then it sort of, because I'm talking it out, it kind of, puts me in that mindset. And you know, it's also modes of learning, which I know is a stupid educational term, but it is. Some people get more out of writing or some people get more out of listening. Some people get more out of speaking and hearing. It just depends. But, yeah. I, but I don't know why, but I feel this exact same way. I get so much more out of hearing it out loud. Well, and also I just, I still, I mean, Caleb brought up the point that I, that I always think about, which is it's a different muscle writing. Yeah. It's a different muscle. If I write it out, it really is on the page because I also, you all don't know me well enough yet, but I'm mildly pretentious. And <laughs> so when I write, um, I, I, I think in the back of my mind was somebody's going to discover these notes. <laughs> right. And they're, they're going to publish, they're going to publish Milton Justice's notes <laughs> on Boy in the Band. I mean, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. And it's because I've got all these Kazan books and Kazan's diaries. And it's, it's you know, and I, I think, yes, that's what everybody wants. I, it was a reason I couldn't believe somebody was, you know, I was so happy writing emails because I thought, oh, this is great. This is, you know, at least I can express myself in that. But no, it, it, it was, God, when I was writing a acting stuff, uh, I had a student once, and, and by the way, and uh, I may have mentioned it in a podcast. I certainly mentioned it in my book, but he was doing a scene in a class from Glass Menagerie. And he was doing, uh, playing the gentleman caller and he had the scene with Laura and I stopped him and I said, what do you think about Laura? Pause. And thinking to myself, did you not understand that? I said, just simply, I mean, what do you think about Laura? Pause. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something, I just, what do you, just, you know, you're, you're with this woman in this thing. What do you think about her? And he paused and he looked at me and he said, could I check my notes? <laughs> and that's when I went, oh, dear. This is now, this is where we are. <laughs> um, yeah, I know I covered that in my writing, but. Wow. Now he was so far removed from the actual experience. That's crazy. Well, yeah. And, and you know, it's, and I, I will say this. Some people can get away with it. If writing forces you to one to be specific Mm. and if you're an actor who's very very general writing can be you know can force you to really address the issue if you're doing all my sons why did i finally write Anne? but the interesting thing is i had a student at yale who he says you don't want me to write i said no i said really Evan, don't write it out. And, and so Yale students are really, really 
think nothing about calling you at two o'clock in the morning. And so he called me at two o'clock in the morning and he said, well, can I write questions? And I said, fine, you can write questions, but you have to answer them out loud. <laughs> and, so, and I thought, if you have to write, maybe the thing to write are, are your questions for the character. And, and, uh, uh, and, and sometimes I think it also helps you with your relationship to the character because they are the questions you would ask the character. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you know I want to know, why did you write Anne? You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's a question you have to know. I mean, hell, why did Anne, you know, after not seeing Chris for what, three years, five years, suddenly come to see him? I mean, she must, you know, you've got to know that as an actress. Mm. And by the way, there is no dialogue to tell you why, <laughs> you know, that's not in the script. Here's another example to, to support this, by the way. I was at the Shakespeare Theater. I had a scene on stage with a, one of the company members who I worshipped at the time. And he's like, yeah, I write out a sonnet, you know, fully scanned sonnet, perfect sonnet for every character I play. And it helps me distill what I feel about the character. So I'm like, oh, boy, I'm going to try that. Did it? Worked on it for days. It didn't do anything for me. It didn't help me in any way at all. So, no, it's, it's, but I mean, the thing about it is, and, and again, it just goes back to some people can do that. Right. Um, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I found a drawing Chris Bedrovsky did of like a pony with things. And I thought, what part was that for? <laughs> <laughs> And he said, you know, he was just writing, he was just drawing. He said, I think that's what that is. And I thought, okay, cool. Um, hey. <laughs> you know, um, but see, uh, uh, look, uh, the joy of acting is if it works on one play, it might not work on the next play. Hmm. There are certain things that we can depend on. Um, I do think I have to know the the time the play takes place. I think I do have to know the world that it's in. I have to know if it's the Broadway theater in the 1950s. I have to know about that. I might I might look at pictures. I mean, it's because I was doing research on on that part that I realized Kazan had two plays running. I mean, it, and knowing that Kazan had two plays running and I was playing a director of a Broadway play. I mean, can you imagine the stakes it gave me? Mm. And, yeah. and taking that old exercise of Stella's about walk your doctor to the thing, I walked Bernie to the flat where Frank and Georgie were staying. And I took him right down the street that had streetcar on one side and, and and death of a salesman on the other. And I I built that, I had that image, and that's what was going on when I, I you know, when I walked in the room. That's all I could see was Kazan. Right. 
And now I had an actor I wanted to play the lead who had a reputation of being an alcoholic. And I wanted to know, was he still drinking? And, you, you know, yeah. and so that, lots of feet off of there. Yes, of course. And that's the reason I say the text is not going to get, you know, is Frank home is not going to give it to me. No, but the other great thing is, you know, just the way you're describing it, it sounds like so much fun to do, you know? It is yeah. fun to do. I, I think this work is fantastic. And the great thing about a part is you can always do this work. It's like, how do you keep it fresh? Well, God, what do you think? I built everything, you know? <laughs> so the next time, you know, the, for the next performance, I, I, I built walking down the street and I saw a line of people waiting at the box office. <laughs> you know, it, it was like, and it was cold. It was winter. And they were still waiting in line. That son of a bitch, Gazant. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> and so now, the next time I had, I added something else to it. Yeah. And and so and there's more, and I have more that I can add, and more than I can add, and more than I can add because I'm never going to get all of it. Right. So that you know, I mean, and so that to me is the richness of it. Uh, is I agree, Steve. I think it makes it fun. It's it's like now I can't wait. I, now well, I know it's it's and now I'm sitting here going, damn the stupid virus because I don't know what I'm going to act again. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I'll put it all up here, all up in the old cranium. I'll keep it. <laughs> and, and this is interesting, uh, Kayla. I, I I went through a lot of different exercises. And trying to teach how to paraphrase. And uh, one of the things I stopped, I, I, I realized that one of the problems about using monologues from plays, and I'll just throw this into the thing, that using monologues from plays, it, it's, I would also have to address character interpretation. And so what I tried to do was to come up with something that allowed me to get the concept of sequence of thoughts without having to address that character wouldn't perform it that way. Mm. And so what I did was over a period, well, in the New York Times several years ago, they, they, pre they print, to like 20 or 25 college uh, people who spoke at commencements. And so I pulled them all. And so then what I did was, it's like I, I have a packet <laughs> of commencement speeches. And so I basically would say to the class, pick one and put it in your own words and present it to the class. And I, I found that was really helpful, that it, it wasn't a character. You get a sense of character. You certainly get a sense of idea because all commencement speeches are kind of, you know, want to, you know, fight the good fight. But, uh, but it, it, I found that that, that, that helped by using, by finding things mm. that were not plays. 
Um, I, I did the same. I've been doing the same thing, and I had no idea that we were gonna that we were never gonna get out of the house again. And I was going to be teaching for six months over, and now possibly another six months uh, <clears throat> over Zoom. But uh, I pulled a collection of maybe what twenty, I guess. Yeah, like about twenty obituaries, not of famous people, but but people who had done enough to be in the New York Times in their obituary. And, and so I, I said, you know, it started with choose one of these people and build a moment from their past. Again, as a monologue. Uh, and it, it helped me not have to worry about, um, not have to worry about character because that's something else. Right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty pretty slick idea. That's a great way to teach that. And, and I was I was so relieved I came up with it. what's ended up happening because we've you know because we've been over Zoom for the past six months is that everybody chose a character, hmm. and we've been working on this character now for five months, and I think eventually what we'll do is probably after you know the first of the year or something is do them as a as a monologue. Yeah. Just put the character someplace. But, you know, it's like one of the people was a translator at the Nuremberg Trials, and he happened to be a German Jew who had left Germany when he was 10. Wow. And now he was a translator. So it's, it, there was a rich world for him to, to build. Walker was w working on a guy who's famous for his photographs of weird architecture um, in, 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 Amer in, America, in Americana, you know, a donut house that's shaped like a donut. And, and there's a guy that, I mean, uh, who was famous, books of taking those pictures. He traveled the entire country. So it's like that was a different one. Yeah. Um, so the, in, in other words, it, it's, it's like, so you begin to find things and, and all, and lots of questions came up, you know, which are like, why are you doing this character is the same thing as saying, why are we doing this play? What do you think we learned from this dude? Um, or do that? Um, Michelle's working on Deirdre, who wrote a biography of Samuel Beckett. <laughs> and so she's had this fabulous kind of thing of meeting Samuel Beckett in Paris at the, oh, yeah. at the coffee shop. You, but you see, it's so rich. Yeah. And so in one class, she tells us about meeting Samuel Beckett. In the first time that she met Samuel Beckett. So it, it's all, you see, you see in, and it's like, so you go through and you decide what in this people's life, what do you need to build in order to get this person? Anyway, I throw those out because I don't, I, I, because I haven't heard of anybody else doing it. And, and I do find them very useful. I, I mean, I, fi I, I find... There are concepts. I mean, we all know there are really concepts. And it's it really is a skill to do it. it, it there, you know, it, there's no question. You every play has a past. Mm. 
you know, every play takes ple- takes place in the present. There is no present without a past. So it's like half the work is building the past in order to earn, if you will, the play. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to go through yeah. and figure out what things to uh, build as a past right. is right. like, I mean, that's just huge. When I was very disciplined as a young actor, I used to go through the script and underline every line with a past. And I still knew I was missing stuff. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, Chris says, you remember during the war, I was in charge of a, of a squad of men. Okay, past. <laughs> and and what are the things that we notice about most you know bad acting it's they say stuff that isn't true one of my personal um bumper stickers is the fact that you say it doesn't make it true and actors do that all the time they try to <laughs> well, yeah, no, well. look at, you have this you have this line like i love thai food you mm. think that if you say, I love Thai food, or maybe if you say, oh, I love Thai food. <laughs> or if you're British, because they can put a pause between every word, you can say, I love Thai food. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so you think if you say the line well, but there's a, you know, there's an obligation as an actor to you know, and you can even make the, make the choice that you hate Thai food and that you're lying. But again, that's a choice. And it's still truthful if that's a choice. It's still truthful as long as it's a choice, but you have to earn it. Right, yeah. So with all of those things, I mean, these are, you know, there's stuff that we know that that we have to do. And, and of course, you all have been acting long enough that a lot of stuff you just do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I find when I read now, I see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I just see it. I do not have that ability. I've never had that ability. It's, I don't know why. Well, also I worked in film. And so a lot of times when I built the past, I see the film. Oh, okay. You know, it, it's, it's like I yeah. see the images and it feels like it's, a, it's, it's a film. All right. Yeah. You know, and, and I may add stuff just over the years that, you know, turned me on, but nobody will know. Right. Yeah. Well, we are now at two hours <laughs> recording. We probably have a two-parter here. Um, uh, yeah, we, I'd love to get together with you again. This was, this was fun. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, happens and, and we'll, um, yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll regroup. Um, we'll, we'll have a, we'll have a little quorum once a month and, there you uh, go. And, and, and we'll, we will sort out acting. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll solve it. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to solve it. Yeah. We're going to figure out. Acting. <laughs> <laughs> there you well, go. Melton, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I, thanks for coming on. I really learned a lot and yeah. Well, I, I yeah. listen, Caleb. Thank you for uh, you know for liking my uh, podcast. I, I was very, very hesitant about doing it, and Walker talked me into it, and I said, "Well, 
look, we have to have 12 in the can before we put one of them out there because I don't want the pressure of having to do this. Right. And I, I said, oh, it's just awful. <laughs> and then. Well, thank uh, God for Walker. <laughs> I know. And then I sort of sat there and, and I said, what do you mean we're not recording on Thursday? I mean, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> did you just get out of the hospital? I just got out of the hospital, but I'm not dead. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, anyway. Goodness. Well. Uh, thank you all for wanting to learn about this and to just yeah. like, you know, like to bounce this off of each other. I think, I think it's such great work. I think it's so important. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I really do. I, 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 th I think, uh, among the many controversial things that I say, I, I, I think, I think to myself, religion didn't really work. And the theater does, because it's one thing to be lectured to, it's one thing to be preached at, it's a totally different thing to watch human beings in conflict. The act of em empathy. Yeah, we learn because they're like us. Yeah. We recognize them because they are human beings and we're human beings, and so we watch human beings struggle, mm. and that's why, that's, that's why we're better for it. Because I, we either don't feel alone or we don't, you know, we, we, we feel like they understand something. I mean, it, it's like everybody's Nora. You know, not just women are Nora. Mm. People are Nora. People want to be Nora. People want to slam the door on a bad situation. And so we look at it and we know the struggle. We yeah. know the difficulty. And if it's an actress who understands the size of the idea of that play, which is another one of our obligations, then that's, you know, then the, then the audience leaves <clears throat> talking about the play and Okay, this is going to stretch it, but they leave talking about the play, not checking their cell phone to see who texts them while they were sitting in, <laughs> in an Ibsen play. If only. I know. I, I know. I mean, if we could get an audience to get out of the theater without checking their cell phones to see who, call, uh, you know, to see what they missed. Then we've yeah. really won. Yeah. So I, we're going to lose that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Milton, um, for joining us tonight. Yep. And um, thank you for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Steve, thank you. I'm, I'm sorry we couldn't see you. Um, but Yes, I'm really getting tired of the map. In your <laughs> well, if you'll notice to my left, there is water. So there's a water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Would you please go home next time? So <laughs> I'll try to. Trust me, you're not missing much looking at me. That's, you know, come on. No, I'm telling you. I, I the thing that I like about teaching over Zoom is everybody's in close up, yeah. And so you can tell whether or not it's landing or registering, and and so you know, and that's the thing. I you know I was totally dependent on Tom and Caleb to look look at them and just to say yes if they were making. It, you know, what's making sense. This is right. the kind of idiot I am. I, my neck is sore from nodding yes so much, but you didn't get any of that, of course. 
<laughs> no, I mean, that's a, the whole thing. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Thank all you, guys. Right. I look forward to part two. Yes. All right. Yeah. Ah, excellent. All right. It's been a pleasure. Good all night. Right. Take Good care. Morning. All right. Bye. Hey, everybody, it's Caleb again. I just want to thank you guys again so much for tuning in for part two of this conversation with Milton and Tom. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening as much as Steve and I did recording. We hope to have Milton on the podcast again very, very soon. And until then, if you guys would like to listen to more of Milton's stuff, you can always find him on his podcast at I Don't Need an Acting Class, which is located on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or pretty much anywhere else you can find your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you liked and subscribed to the podcast. You can also share our posts on Facebook with your friends and family. Remember, we are located on the Atlantic Stage Facebook and Instagram pages. Okay, it's time for the big announcement. It's October. It's Halloween season. Everybody's ready for it. And so the Long Monday podcast has something very special that we want to share with you guys. For the past month, we have been collaborating with 15 actors from across the nation to produce for you a dramatized radio production of the 1845 gothic narrative poem, The Raven, by Edgar Allan Poe. It was super fun to produce. These actors are awesome. You guys will learn more about them very, very soon. And in my opinion, the final product was pretty badass. So I hope you guys will tune in on October 26th, that's a Monday, to listen to our production of The Raven. Until next time, this has been the Long Monday Podcast. Thanks for listening.